Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. It is a great joy to be with you today. Um, the Lord, the Lord has something else in store than I had planned. Uh, I had planned the an interview with an author, um, an author named Rod Bennett. Um, he he's a convert to the Catholic faith, and I'm I'm very interested in talking to him. Um, and there's a reason why. So I was actually really looking forward to it, not only because of his book, These Twelve, The Gospel Through the Apostles' Eyes. Very interesting book, different, not a typical book in terms of how you serve up insights into the lives of the, the Twelve Apostles. So very, it'll be very interesting to see what, what comes of, of that interview. But he is someone who, it's over, I think it's over 25 years ago now, um, had a conversion into the Catholic faith and um, from a, um, a very devout Protestant background. And I was very interested in talking to him because my daughter, Mary Grace, is right now in a dialogue with a pastor of a prominent church in the Portland area. She, this, this pastor is not Catholic. This pastor is part of a thriving evangelical church. And um, he um, found out that um, Mary Grace was Catholic and started some conversations with her. And um, today, well, this was, what's today? Uh, you're hearing this on Thursday. Uh, it was on Wednesday. She called me and said, Dad, I got to tell you about this conversation. She had a couple hour conversation with him um, about becoming Catholic. And what was at stake in that? And is there any way to reconcile staying in his position of pastoring this prominent church in the Portland area when he has come to the graced recognition that the Catholic Church presents the fullness of faith? It's the church that Christ founded and the fullness of the means of salvation, the the sacraments, the liturgy. Uh, these are things that are traced back to Christ as a source and are meant to be a source of nourishment and transformation. Um, and it, for those who are full followers of Christ, that he has, he, he's feeling inside that sense of, I have no choice. That, that, well, he has a choice, right? But the inner conviction of saying, I can choose to continue on in the path that has seen so much fruit spiritually, but on the inside, would I be betraying my call? Would I be betraying, not just my call, but my call from God, therefore betraying the Lord, if I don't, in fact, act in accord with the truth, because it's you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I was very interested in... Um, getting Rod's take on this this situation, in part because Mary Grace said, hey, um, what books would you recommend? Uh, what, you know, what would be uh, websites, books, podcasts? What would be the things that you'd recommend? And I thought, here I am, I'm talking to all of these Catholic apologists recently, these authors from Catholic Answers Publishing or from Sophia Institute Press. And I'm like, Oh, the timing of this is is beautiful, providential. Let's go. So pray for that pastor. Okay, this you can be part of a chain in the work of grace, a chain in the work of God uh, by praying for him, praying for him to continue to walk into greater clarity, and along with clarity, a greater sense of conviction. And not only conviction, but the courage to walk out, to live in accord with the truth that he has been graced and is being graced to come to know. So um, it's it's a really interesting thing. So pray for him. Um, You can have a a really cool part in, in that. In fact, let's pray right now. Let's pray right now. I, I, I got so excited, I, <laughs> I didn't even pray. Did I pray? I don't remember if I prayed. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to pray now. Okay. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' holy name. And I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for the ways that you care for us and you take care of us. And and Lord, I, I ask that you would truly um, bless bless this man on the path of discernment that you have him walking. Lord, we join as this communion of persons, this community of faith, the members of the of the family of God in, in the Catholic Church. We pray for this brother in the Lord, that he would uh, continue to, to walk this path and grow in clarity and conviction and in courage to follow your grace, Lord. Lord, that's what we, we want. We want for him, Lord, that beautiful gift of, of conversion into the fullness of faith. And, and Lord, we want that for ourselves too. We want to, to continue to grow in our own sense of clarity about what the church teaches, conviction about how to live that truth, and then the courage to follow those convictions. Lord, we, we are in desperate need for those graces. Lord, we do love you, but we want to love you more. Lord, we desire to serve you, and we do serve you in our own way, but we want to bear more fruit. Lord, we long to see more power come to be at work in our lives and through our lives. So please, Lord, grant us the graces and the gifts we need, especially a deeper release of the gift and grace of your Holy Spirit given at Pentecost and given to us in our confirmation. Break open the the gift of Pentecost given to us in confirmation, Lord, please. We yield to the gift of a new Pentecost for our spiritual lives, that the power of Pentecost would be fully at work in and through our lives. We yield to you, O Holy Spirit. We don't even know what that means today or tomorrow, but we yield to you, Holy Spirit. And we say, come and move upon us in power, move in us in power, and move through us with power. Your divine power, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, so much to talk about today. I wasn't sure I was going to have a chance to cover these items, um, but the gift of having a, um, a, a miscommunication or a forgetfulness or whatever you want to say, Rod Bennett will be back. Uh, we have yet to schedule the next conversation, but he'll be back. Uh, these 12, the gospel through the apostles' eyes. Next week, I have a couple of other guests lined up. Um, one is a deacon, Frank D. Girolamo. He does street ministry. Um, uh, he does street ministry in downtown Seattle, has done it for years, um, while also serving in the archdiocese. Um, but he has moved into a full-time role as an executive director of a ministry that reaches out and cares for the homeless in the streets of Seattle. And I will see his posts show up on Facebook, and the stories are amazing. And so uh, I was excited to have him come on and share some of the stories with you, because I think that he is a very powerful example of someone who, in reaching greater clarity about the truth of the gospel and its fullness, and in a particular way, the way that the gospel is meant to come out into real life, that uh, the truth of the gospel become, became so clear for him that the conviction that it led him to was ever more fully to engage in a work of reaching out to those who have no or such little capacity to reach into the church for support, for help for uh, a way out of their desperate, broken circumstances and situations. And uh, just because so many people are just trapped in, in darkness and, and feel are fundamentally powerless or in bondage or stuck and, and don't even have any an inkling that the, the loving God, uh, the creator of heaven and earth, knows them, sees them, and is engaging in... Um, engaging in in ways of caring for them. They just don't experience that day to day. And here he is right on the front lines. And so then he has the courage to go do that, the courage to take that action 
and to be out on the streets. So I know that that's a very challenging call just to hear it, even me just describe it. Um, I think that you'll be inspired next week when you hear Deacon Frank uh, share some stories. Uh, he already gave me an outline of, I was like, we have too many stories. <laughs> we can never cover all these stories, which is just a, a snapshot of the, his own daily ministry. So um, I'm, I'm excited to have you hear him. That will be in the middle of next week. His program will be on. And then I have a couple of other guests. Um, there'll be at least one other guest coming on next week to talk about upcoming events to help promote the work of life. There are several galas that are happening in the course of September uh, that are um, supporting the work, the pro-life work of um, taking care of those who are uh, contemplating abortion or those who are struggling with other um, issues, whether it's a transgender uh, gender dysphoria or relationship tr struggles or addiction struggles. So different efforts do different um, ministries to touch the work of the gospel of life. So um, there's an upcoming gala for healing the culture that'll be happening um, in the Seattle area. I believe it's in Bellevue and then in um, in the Coeur d'Alene area. It's actually going to be in Post Falls coming up uh, in the last weekend of September. Uh, I'll be emceeing the event in Post Falls. I'm excited. Uh, Father Spitzer will be there along um, with Camille DePauli. Um, and so, uh, Camille Pauli. So, so, I'm excited to have that opportunity to interview one of the two of them about um, their great work at healing the culture. Um, and then there's a... Um, a powerful ministry operating here in the Spokane area called Path of Life, and they do an incredible set of, of work um, to reach out to some of those issues I was just talking about. And um, their speaker is, is actually a, a nationally known speaker, and we are uh, we're doing a little bit of juggling to see if we can get her on the air um, with me. So um, her name is um, Allie Beth, um, uh, Allie Beth Stanley, is that her name? A Stucky, sorry, Allie Beth Stucky. Uh, I don't watch the news enough, but she's a podcaster and is on a regular contributor to Fox News and, and some others and um, is, is a, a devout Christian who really speaks to um, the, this generation the, the current generation about um, overcoming a sense of self-centeredness and selfishness in life. And so um, love to be able to get her on for an interview. So we'll see if we can make that happen in support of Path of Life. And then um, on the West Side, Next Step Pregnancy Center uh, is having a, a gala as well. And uh, I'm going to see if I can get one of them on to help support that event as well. So Lots of efforts are launching uh, in September, you know, when things have finally calmed down, right? Things have finally calmed down and people are getting back into the the normal, more normal realm of things like going back to school. So uh, that's very a very prominent theme in the current home today. Today is, it's a big day. Because um, not only is my daughter Mary Catherine heading back to Franciscan University today, she leaves on a red eye, um, but along with her is her next youngest sister, Ariana, who just graduated from high school. And she is going to uh, launch on her year of mission work. I had her come on a couple weeks ago with Mary Grace and uh, another woman that is from a, a base in Guatemala. This is for Adventures and Missions organization based out of Georgia. And so Ariana is on the same plane <laughs> as Mary Catherine because uh, the plane flies through Atlanta, Georgia, and Ariana gets off the plane and Mary Catherine gets on another plane and uh, heads to Pittsburgh to go back to Franciscan. So um, it's a big deal. And we attempted to honor that. I, well, we did honor it. Um, Wednesday night, and I want to tell you how. I want to, by doing so, I want to give you a way to think about 
um, introducing faith into um, the transition back to school for kids that are leaving your home. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. So lots to cover and covering your kids in prayer. That's a beautiful thing. It's an important thing. When I think about what it is I make um, a principal effort or focus in my own kids' lives in terms of helping them to grow, uh, where's prayer in there? Right? Uh, in, in, when I give teachings on prayer and, and parents and family prayer, um, I emphasize three things. Praying for your kids, praying with your kids, and teaching your kids to pray. Those are three distinct but related items or facets of the life of prayer. Praying for your kids, praying with your kids, and teaching your kids to pray. Now, those are also very intertwined, right? So praying for your kids, a lot of that's invisible, right? A lot of that's going to be a hidden work where you, during your own personal prayer times, are consciously, intentionally naming your kids before God. You're coming before the throne of God. You're coming before Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, Good Shepherd, Divine Physician. You're coming before the great saints, the Blessed Mother, St. Joseph, the patron saints and guardian angels of your family and of that particular child. And you are Speaking with authority, you approach the Lord, you approach these saints and these angels with a sense of authority. Now, that doesn't mean you're commanding them, but you're speaking from a position of God-given vocation, a God-given responsibility. And therefore, uh, let's say, God-given accountability. <laughs> Don't forget that. But also, therefore, a God-given authority. Like, where God entrusts a responsibility and is going to hold accountable, he'll also give authority. And so, if it's your call as a parent, and it is, to be the primary or the principal educators and formers of the life of faith of your kids, it's your call to forge them into not only fine human beings, but godly men and women, who will not only take up a place as citizens in their country, yes, they they ought to, but also to realize their citizenship in heaven. And that's our call. And I think sometimes we maybe focus so much on aspects related to the first part of that, being good citizens of earth, citizens of the community, because sometimes being good citizens just might mean being successful, being able to make their way being able to have uh, the benefit of the good things of uh, of their earthly citizenship. But it's a harder work. It's a a more difficult work because it's a supernatural work to have our kids grow and be formed in their supernatural citizenship, their citizenship of heaven. I heard a really cool talk on this earlier today, and it, he, this priest brought out um, an aspect of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem uh, that I had not heard before. And it was that Jesus wasn't born at home. He wasn't born in a home. He wasn't born in his home or in a palace or 
you know, in a safe, peaceful place that was ready and waiting and, and protected and provided for and, and, you know, all, everything was in order, right? Now, he wasn't born at home. He was born on the way. He was born as the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph were on a journey. And the insight the priest brought out was that Jesus wanted to convey, communicate, one among many things, one of the things he communicated by being born in, uh, in a stable, was that this isn't home. This isn't home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we ought not to get confused about that. That even though we experience so much goodness around the reality of family and home, this isn't our ultimate home. Our ultimate home is heaven. And life on earth is a journey towards our ultimate home. And there's some real surrenders involved in that realization. There's some letting goes, right? You got you to let go of the reality that all of the meaning and purpose and, and the things that we attend to in life, are they focused on our life here? Not only for us, but for our kids. So when I think about sending our daughter off to Franciscan University, and, and especially, it's, you see it more clearly, in sending our other daughter, Ariana, off on mission, it's not because we don't like having Ariana around. It's not because we couldn't find a good school to have her go to or that she didn't want to go to college. She's a great student. You know, one of the, it's so funny, that probably the two most intellectually challenged and not challenged, no, <laughs> gifted, intellectually gifted uh, students in the current, among all the current kids um, that have graduated high school so far, but the two really gifted uh, academically both chose after high school or re- heard the call and responded not to go to college first, but to go on mission. And why would we support that? Well, one of the fundamental reasons why I support that is that it helps ground or root or establish in my kids' minds that your know, life on earth is to be centered on your relationship with Christ are you growing in holiness and fulfilling your God-given purpose to manifest and proclaim God's kingdom in accord with the ways and purposes that he leads you, that get grounded in that reality. Be steady and sturdy in your relationship with the Lord and discern and live the God-given mission he has for your life. And if they can spend the totality of their time on that activity. And that activity lasts for more than a day or a weekend or, or even a week. But when you give over your life and you are uprooted from the comforts of home, like we, I am not going to see my daughter. She leaves later tonight. I'm not going to see her until next June. She, there is no coming home. I'm not going to see her until next June. And some of the places she's going to be in, there's no FaceTime and video chatting and those sorts of things. I mean, it is out in places where there's nothing. And you know what? Good. Good. Hard, right? Difficult. Not easy, but for the purposes of God and for the purposes of spreading the gospel, I'm in. I want that for my daughter. So any level of sacrifice or of challenge that is associated with the idea of letting go of my child, my, my child, she's 18 and graduated high school, but the surrender that's involved there and the sending forth that's involved there is something I rejoice in. Because it helps her get rooted in her ultimate relationship with the Lord. And will 
make it easier. It's not easy. It's never going to be easy. Easier to foster a mindset that says, I'm a citizen of heaven and I happen to be living on earth. More than I'm a citizen of the earth or of this country, city, whatever, and, oh, one day that's going to end and I have to kind of give it all up and, oh, well, go to heaven, I, I guess, or I hope, right? And that's too bad. So somehow death is the, tra- the great tragedy in life is that it's going to end this reality rather than, no, it's the door home. And thanks be to God, we're in a situation where we are on a journey and we get to go through that door home. So um, I think that just just hold on to that, right? Hold on to that. Um, the more that we can realize the, the tension, right, the dynamic tension that exists between the time, effort, focus, and energy that we put on living well as citizens of Earth in comparison with time, energy, focus, and attention that we put on those parts of our lives that express and, and, and form us in the reality that we are citizens of heaven. That tension is, is something that is integratable, right? It's the sacramental principle, right? It's not you either are taking an action that is part of the kingdom of the world or you're taking an action that is part of the kingdom of heaven. No, that's not Catholic theology. Catholic theology is that they can be woven together, that the creator of nature is the creator of the supernatural means of bringing divine life to us. So what God elevates is from him as well. So there's a goodness in creation that he wants to elevate beyond the mere created level where it becomes a matter of sharing in God's own life. And so um, we can do that. You know, so for instance, one of the ways of doing that is a traditional understanding of where the great majority of people are going to grow in and express their own calls to be saints. Like, where are you going to nurture? Where are you going to express that reality that you're called to be a saint and fulfill your God-given mission? Well, for the great, great, great majority of human beings, it's going to be in the home and in the workplace and in the community in which they're operating. And I don't just mean that, oh, you're going to put up religious symbols and you're going to say a prayer. No, I mean to use the, the traditional language that the universal call to holiness which we all, right, it's universal, right? This call to holiness that we all have is, uh, is lived out in, the, in fulfilling the duties of our state in life. You've, you've probably heard that phrase before, right? To fulfill the duties of your state in life. So your state in life, the, again, the great, great majority of folks who are listening to me right now, your state in life is you're married. So you are called into that vocation of the sacrament of holy matrimony and in living that out, you are called to live a life of love. But love is not simply feelings, right? Love is ultimately self-donation, which means self-giving to the point of self-sacrifice. It means self-emptying as a means of experience, experiencing the fulfillment of oneself. Now, even that, just you hear all those things and you're like, all right, how do I put all that together? And the answer is you can't put it all together just intellectually in your head. It's only through life. You won't get it. You just won't get the idea that it's through giving of oneself that you'll come to know joy. It's through sacrificing one's own preferences and desires that you'll come to a, a kind of joy that is beyond the joy that's accessible to you if you only are seeking the fulfillment of your own desires. And, and that's hard to know, right? It's, it, again, it's hard to conceive that somehow, okay, I'm tired, I've worked hard, I don't have a lot of energy left, I come into the house, and all of a sudden my kids express a need they have or a desire they have or they want some attention 
and to say, what do I want right now? Well, I want to be able to attend to my own need or want or desire for rest, relaxation, doing something that is soft, comfortable, and nice for me. Ah, wouldn't that be satisfying? That's not nearly as enjoyable. It's not going to bring joy into my life in the same kind, not just degree, but the same kind of joy that I would experience if in coming in, set aside those things and say, what can I do? Hey, great. Let me pay attention to that. Let me pay attention to you. Let me show you that you are more important to me right now than my doing what I want to do. And I'm going to give my time and attention to you. And it's emptying. It's sacrificial. It's hard. It hurts. It's a dying self. And oh, by the way, isn't that like, boy, isn't that so heroic? <laughs> That's so basic. It's so basic, but basic in this, from the standpoint of foundational, right? It's, it's like, it's basic stuff, but it's that basic stuff that, guess what? It's in the home where we get to form and forge that kind of life. That's the call we have, right? The call we have as parents, and the call we have is to fulfill the duties of our state in life. We are called upon to help forge in our kids those virtues of self-mastery, denial of self, uh, uh, purity, modesty, chastity, um, self-control, being generous and forgiving and uh, and being uh, kind and uh, seeking forgiveness. And all of these like foundational moral virtues, uh, as well as intellectual virtues, right? Those are things that we are called upon to foster in the home. But we need help. We need help from outside. I'm going to pick up on this theme in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. You know, we'd maybe rather do things alone, but we are not made that way. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas says it's part of our nobility It's part of our nobility that we will not achieve fulfillment in our lives on our own strength. We need help from the outside, and that's part of our nobility. And so we parents, in the attempts that we make to raise our kids in faith, to grow in faith, we need help. So I think that this is where making wise decisions about where your kids are engaging is really, really critical. So important. I'll give you some, some actual, like, concrete examples from, like, this is not even the last week. Okay, just, just this week. And this is a regular thing for me. So this is, not, this is not an extraordinary week when I give you some very concrete examples of where we as parents can find support from the outside in fostering the, that holiness of life and the good citizenship of being engaged as godly citizens in, in, in the work that we have, the call we have to be saints living on our God-given mission, where we can look to outside uh, organizations, institutions to help us along the way. So on the one hand, I want to give you um, a couple of movements, right? So I already talked about pro-life movements. Um, I'm going to have some on next week to help promote the, the work that they're doing. And pro-life movements have become an incredible way to help um, engage uh, Catholic Christians, Catholics and Christians to be engaged in the gospel of life in terms of reaching out into the world, reaching right out into the world. And so um, that is a really critical work. Um, and, and for me, it's a great sadness when um, like bishops don't actively promote and support efforts uh, that advance the gospel of life. Uh, I'm very grateful. Uh, Bishop Daly is a great supporter of pro-life efforts, and that's a tremendous gift. And it's not a gift to, to just take for granted. You got to pray for your bishops because not every bishop is going to um, permit, promote, or advance pro-life initiatives and organizations in their dioceses. It's a great sadness and can lead to great harm. And then I think of 
initiatives that a lady take in movements like prayer meetings, right? I mentioned the charismatic renewal, or there are other re renewal movements. And again, bishops have a really critical part to play in either promoting or in um, in withdrawing support and negating authentic and acceptable and accepted ways for the laity to seek to grow in faith themselves, to gather together with others in their own attempts to grow in faith, and to be able to um, to grow in holiness and fulfill their God-given mission in doing that. And so uh, I'm very aware of bishops that have not been supportive of efforts around the Catholic charismatic renewal, for instance. That's just one for instance. And um, when they squelch the ability of groups to meet, or again, don't promote and help advance those efforts, that's a real damage to the body of Christ. This is a real damaging to, uh, to many laity who would, in fact, be seeking out ways of living their call, right, and growing in their faith. So again, if your bishop is supportive of movements and of things like um, the renewal, um, thank God and pray for that bishop. Um, because not all bishops are supportive like that. Um, and then I think of educational efforts, right? That's one that I know has um, been near and dear to my heart because I see how much is at stake in school choice, the, the choice, the educational choice that you make for your kids. And so um, tomorrow... Um, Carrie will be on with me, and um, she's got, we got a lot, we got so much to talk about. But she made a comment. We were passing by. Uh, it was one of these like sort of opening day events for um, a Catholic high school that we drive by, and I've driven by two of them, and like students in parking lots and students at the end of the day, and just seeing how at these public high schools how these kids are dressed. And I say kids, I mean these girls are dressed. And my heart sinks. It just sinks that they go to school dressed in a way that they, for, has, it's been formed in their mind that it's not just okay, but it's them expressing themselves. Um, but they are showing, it is so immodest what they are showing forth to the world and the negative effects that has on the hallways and the lives of these boys, these young men who are seeing these girls dressed like this. And I'm not even trying to harp on just the concept of modesty, but just one drive by and, and Carrie just, she said in passing like, once again, I give great, praise and thanks to God that my kids are at this classical school where they, in high school, are wearing uniforms. And the purity and the modesty and the chastity and the self-control of these kids is deeply fostered and promoted and advanced by the decisions they make to have schools like this. And once again, it's our priests and our bishops that have such an important role to play in helping parents to fulfill their call, to fulfill the call that we have as the primary formers and educators in the lives of faith of our children. And so if you have a bishop that is um, not threatened by the initiative of laity, and is willing to step in and walk with the laity as they are advancing their own educational efforts. Um, not all families are going to be able to afford private schools or even the classical schools, but co-ops, homeschooling efforts that bring families together, you know, a bishop can have such a big part to play in squelching those efforts diminishing and, and, and withdrawing support from those efforts or of advancing them. And I just, I want to give again a shout out to 
uh, Bishop Daly here in the Diocese of Spokane for the incredible support that he and Father Connell gave to the Chesterton Academy as they uh, as they launched uh, huge, huge, huge support from uh, Father Connell at the you know from the beginning, and then the bishop saying, yes, let's go. You know, you know if you're in the Diocese of Spokane, how committed he is to education. That's part of his own gifting and, and background himself. And so be grateful to God and, and, and say a prayer. Um, because when, um, when the laity are, uh, are considered a threat, that somehow if they want to step forward and take an initiative that they rightfully can take, to foster good educational decisions for their kids, it's not always going to be easy. Not always going to be easy. And so, um, you know, pray for your bishops. Pray for bishops that they would have an open mind and an open heart to realize the, the, the heart's cry and the anguish of parents as we attempt to raise our kids um, in accord with the call that God has for us. And we realize we can't do it alone. We know that. We can't do it alone. And so we also know and recognize that ordinary efforts today just won't cut it. Half measures in raising our kids to be faith-filled is a recipe for disaster. If you just keep doing what you were doing five years ago to raise your kids as Catholics— you should expect that your kids are going to lose their faith. And if they don't, they are the exception and not the rule. That's the sad demographic reality. It's just statistics. It's, it's the frustrating suffering of so many parents when they have invested so much money and commitment to have their kids be in certain Catholic schools that are overrun by non-practicing Catholics and those who are fully giving themselves over to or battling but losing the battle with giving themselves over to the thinking of the world pouring forth through their smartphones and through internet use. And parents are just, you know, they're not equipped to take on that battle alone. And if schools can step in and play a critical role in helping them fight that battle, it's an incredible gift. And I see that happening, and I rejoice over it. Welcome back to Sound Insight. So um, today I'm talking about just this reality of um, how important it is for we parents to realize that where we are going to grow in holiness and fulfill the duties of our state and life are most often just found in the home and in the workplace. Just It's like you don't have to go out on mission like my daughter is to Guatemala and Swaziland and Romania. Right? You don't have to do that, but that's going to ground her, hopefully, to then launch into a life that no matter where she is, she's going to have that sense of being on mission. Um, that's why I love having Carrie on on Fridays because it gives us a chance to share the highs and lows, right? So we are really good at bringing out our failures and the struggles we have with raising our kids in faith. But when we find something that works, when we find a, a step up, when we find a, a path that can provide protection and be a source of blessing and nourishment for the lives of faith for your kids, we're going to share it. And I'm going to share it with conviction and boldness because I care about you and I care about your kids. I do. I, I love your kids. I want your kids to be protected from spiritual harm and danger. I want your kids to not be malformed in a clever but uh, diabolically clever way of presenting the, the Catholic faith that is, is, is deceptive um, or a presentation of faith that is a... Um, is a, is a uh, a, a capitulation and a, um, a, giving, a giving over to the ways of thinking of the world, of the current moment 
and society. So ask yourself, what will be washing over my kids? What will be sewn into my kids' minds and hearts in the school halls, in the classrooms, in the cafeteria, on the sports teams, in the clubs and activities? What are going to be the policies of the teachers? What are the lifestyles and and um, faith commitments of the the families and the teachers that are that are there are they going to help augment what is an important ideal for your family and are they comp- uh, complementing and uh adding to the the way of life that you're fostering for your kids i hope they are i hope they are And there's a word that I want you to look for in the title or the methodology of the schools where your kids are going in order to help provide some some insight. And that word's classical. So uh, I have had the privilege of speaking at five different classical schools uh, in just the last year and a half. And... um, uh, a couple of these classical schools were um, part of uh, the diocesan structure, so official Catholic schools that were initiated by and overseen by um, Catholic dioceses. Um, on the other hand, I've also um, been able to support um, classical schools that operate in either the Catholic tradition or a Christian tradition. And these initiatives are marked by real serious and even heroic efforts on the part of lay people, often with the tremendous support uh, and approval of local priests to say, yes, we see the burning concern that you have as parents for your kids. And we want to help you embody that. And if there's a way that you say that you can pull together the reality of a school because it's your principal work. You're the primary educators and formers in the faith lives of your kids. What can we do? How can we support you? And if the, in dialogue, there's a sense of saying, you know, um, we operate within a Catholic tradition, but we want to remain administratively independent from a diocese. That's definitely the right of that organization. And I think that it's a it's something that ought to be honored and respected um, by uh, by church officials who are discerning. Like, how do we walk with this group? Um, I've had the privilege, really. This is the, this is this is how I, I've lived in ministry for thirty years. I worked for a worldwide organization called Evangelization Two Thousand. We got our approval from the Vatican, and so we weren't part of the Vatican but we submitted what we were doing to the Vatican, and with their approval, we started to operate around the Catholic world and interacted with bishops and dioceses literally around the world and very fruitfully did so, never a part of any diocese, but supporting, augmenting, and advancing the missionary ideals of St. John Paul II leading up to the Great Jubilee Year 2000, and bringing that to bear with the giftings and the call that we had um, uh, in, in, in our particular continents and countries. Um, and then I, I really learned from that. So when I came out to Seattle at the in, invitation of then Archbishop Murphy in the late 1990s, like 1997, Archbishop Murphy came out and said, you know, do you want to work for me? And I said, I would love to work in the diocese and I would be supportive of you, but let me remain administratively independent so that I'm not on your budget. And I, I just believed I could be more efficient. I wouldn't be caught up in like sort of uh, processes for planning and uh, permissions. But I instead said, Archbishop, how can I serve you? Where do you have a need? Here's what I'm good at. Here are the giftings I have. Here's my background and training. How can I be of service to you? What's an initiative that you're doing that I can, I can help with? And it went from Archbishop Murphy to Archbishop Brunette to Archbishop Sarton. And I have loved the opportunity of being able to serve each of these archbishops so well um, while always remaining administratively independent. I didn't work for a parish. I didn't work for a diocese. 
Um, and at the same time, I would always work in good relationship with them to the extent that they wanted to work with me. So I know that that model works because I've lived it for 30 years. <laughs> and I think that that's a model that is going to only increase in years to come. The bishops are going to be uh, called upon to discern ways to work in good relationship with initiatives that come from the laity that are manifestations of their attempts to live their call to be saints who fulfill God, God give, the God-given mission for their lives. And that the urgency or the importance of their particular calling is such that it will be a more fruitful and efficient and effective work if it isn't something that comes from the machinery of a diocese or a parish, but rather works in good relationship with, always in good relationship with, uh, with bishops and dioceses and parishes, to the extent that that's possible. Um, and so I, that's my hope, and that's my prayer. And so I, I'm hoping and praying that new initiatives that are emerging, like there's a classical school in the Catholic tradition that opened up in Bremerton a year ago, and it was um, beautifully welcomed by Father Lappy, and it was supported by him, um, and it remained administratively independent from the uh, the uh, the the school structure of the Archdiocese of Seattle, and that degree of distinction allowed them to operate in ways that has borne great fruit, and their school has done extremely well. Uh, and I, I've got to see it uh, firsthand. It's beautiful, the work of God happening among those students. And so uh, I've seen a, a slightly different model here in the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame, where uh, Bishop Daly and Father Connell have stayed um, deeply connected to the Chesterton Academy, but it's not a diocesan high school. But their level of support and promoting and helping advance that school is unmatched. It is just amazing. And so I'm, I'm excited to see um, the desperate need for other classical high schools in the Catholic tradition opening up. Uh, there's one opening up in Coeur d'Alene. And so Coeur de Christ is a classical school in the Catholic tradition. Now it's not a school that's part of the diocesan Catholic school structure. Um, and yet, the desperate need for a good Catholic high school as an alternative, a good high school that would foster and promote the Catholic tradition, is desperately needed. And if it is able to launch as it is in, uh, in just over a week, praise be to God, parents are not going to be able to wait, um, uh, you know, a few years for uh, a, a diocesan Catholic school to open up uh, in northern Idaho. And when it does, praise be to God, there's so many kids, so many Catholic families that would so desire to go to a Catholic high school. And so until that time comes, I love the idea of a classical high school in the Catholic tradition, not a Catholic high school, but a classical high school in the Catholic tradition opening up in Coeur d'Alene. Please check it out if you're in that area and you want to fulfill your mission as a parent in these challenging times. God bless your day.